Hey listeners, did you know that Yogi Triathlete offers endurance coaching for body and mind? We offer personalized training plans for endurance sports, wellness and mindset, nutrition and recovery guidance, and race preparation and strategy, all within the supportive community of Team Yogi Triathlete. So if you're ready to conquer your fitness goals and push your limits, our endurance coaches are ready to guide you on the journey to peak performance. Go to yogitriathlete.com today to set up your free 30-minute discovery call and embrace a future of strength, stamina, and achievement. Your goals, our experience, the perfect match for unstoppable success. It is the diet and it is the nutrition. It's all those things because that's what's going to foster health forever. And that's what's going to create this foundation for our kids to kind of move through life and know what's good for them and know that food affects the way that they feel. But it's also like a resource for families that just really want to reset and find that connection again, that really need like this time with their kids to just have like a positive moment where everything is sort of like time stands still for a while and they can just sit at the table and eat and connect and have that be really important. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, co-creators of YT, providing endurance training for body and mind. Thank you for tuning in. We are exceptionally grateful to welcome back Dr. Monica Davern to the show. We met Monica in 2017 at Ironman 70.3 Santa Rosa first and briefly in the expo. And then the following morning in the wee dark hours, she was standing right in front of me as we boarded athlete shuttles to take us to the swim start in Lake Sonoma. Over these years, we've stayed in touch. Monica was on Team Yogi Triathlete for a time and is now turning her attention to her latest offering, Mighty Roots. We'll dive into that and much more as we catch up with our fellow athlete and friend, Monica Davern. It's so great to see you, Monica. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I was so uh, listening to the <clears throat> the first podcast we did um, before we dove into so much. It was so good. Uh, Jesse was there and um, he was sharing some insight from the kitchen. I think he just made his beet burgers, mm-hmm. um, which were so good. So catch us up a little bit um, from that point to now. I know it's been about five, four or five years since then. So uh, bring us bring us to now, maybe a quick little synopsis of what you've been up to. Oh man, so much has happened since then. (laughs) I remember that day well, and I'll tell you why maybe as we get talking, but man, just so much has happened. So at that time I was in residency still in Oakland. um, And then I finished my residency. We moved to Denver and I started working at Children's Hospital Colorado. And I was in the emergency department for about five years doing that. And during that time we had two babies. They're four years old and almost two now two little boys and it's just been the best. I mean, it was definitely like a period of sort of like identity crisis a little bit after you have your first baby that I'm sure many people go through. Um, but that was when I was on Yogi Triathlete, like as a, you know, a runner, you were my coach for a while. It was super fun. And, um, yeah, things just kind of like blossomed from there. I felt like I got all my fitness back. I sort of got into my groove as a mom. Um, but I recently changed jobs. And as a result of that, was able to start this sort of side hustle that people have asked me, like, how long it's taken me to do this. And I just sort of say, like, my whole life. It's taken my whole life to do this. Um, but it was one of those things where, like, when I was in the emergency department, I really loved it. I was there through thick and thin. Like, 
throughout the pandemic, with COVID, with everything else, with sort of this like RSV apocalypse that we saw after the pandemic. Um, And I just sort of found myself in a place where I was really burnt out. Um, Burnt out on all of it, like not just work, on life too. Like I would spend most of the days with my kids, which I loved. So I would put in eight to 10 hours in the morning with the boys. And then around five o'clock, I would go to work and I would be at work maybe from five until 1am. And then I would come home and my job is generally like 45 minutes away. And so I'd come home at like two o'clock in the morning, shower, go to bed, and then get up when the boys would get up in the morning and sort of do it all again. And I found myself in this place where it was just like a lot. (laughs) Like I was just really, really tired. And um, kind of like how you guys say, like, if if something sucks bad enough, you'll you'll change. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I finally got there, like, you know, a few months ago and um, decided that it was time to kind of make a change. So now I'm in private practice at this amazing clinic called Highlands Integrative Peds, um, where I'm one of the pediatricians there. And they're just amazing. They're super supportive of this side project that I'm starting that um, is really for families that want to raise plant-based kids. And so that's that's what I'm doing. And that's sort of like the the crux of this phase of life. And it's been really, really fun. What did you, as you transition, because I know transitioning is hard and bumping up against that sucks enough moment for most of us who are like, uh, is this the moment or is this the moment or is this the moment? And they don't really know if it's the actual push to get them to the, to the next thing. What did you take away from that? Those five years, um, working that job that maybe you can apply, um, to now or into this new venture? Yeah. So, um, gosh, that's a good question. There's kind of a lot to unpack there, but, um, I loved like the, the high acuity of being in the emergency department, you see everything you've seen it. We've seen it all. But, um, I think like seeing that day in and day out as a mom sort of hits you in a different way. Like I think before having kids, it was really a lot, there was a lot more distance there between some of the things that would come through and kind of where I was in life. And, um, I think it just started to get hard when, you know, you look at these families or you spend like a whole day taking care of them and like things are really heavy and maybe you never see them again because their kid either gets admitted or they go home, you fix the problem. And then it's sort of like onto the next thing. Like it's all very transactional in a way. Like somebody comes to you with a problem, you fix it, and then you kind of just move on and do the next one and the next one. Um, so I think the things that I've gained are that number one, I've seen a lot. I mean, I feel like in a, from a medical perspective, like there's very few things that you know, we haven't dealt with or that haven't come through the door at like this high volume university center. But I think like from the perspective of like probably who I am on a deeper level, it's really nice to kind of move into this space where now I'm creating relationships all day and I will see these families again. And my job isn't to really fix anything. It's more to just go in and have a conversation and see how I can help and how I can answer their questions. And I think for me, that's been really amazing. Um, I remember, so the day that we had our last podcast, I don't know if you remember this, but I was really late getting home. Um, And the reason that I was late is something that I'll never forget. So I was in the intensive care unit on my rotation, my residency, and I was late because I was doing a brain death exam on a child who had been like the victim of really horrible child abuse. And it was just... 
I remember coming home and being like, how am I going to like clear my energy for this really uplifting, positive podcast and like go back to being who I am and who I would prefer to be every day is just like happy and optimistic. And sort of like, that's like, that's like what people do in medicine. I mean, you go to work and you deal with this stuff that's just life or death, like high stakes. And then you sort of are just expected to come home and rinse and repeat and do it again. And so I think like for me, it's been really refreshing to kind of be in a space where it's not such high stakes anymore. And I can just focus on like helping families connect with each other or, you know, just helping kids kind of just be well. And that's a lot more fun. So sorry, I hope that wasn't too heavy for your listeners. Like if you need to edit that part out, feel free. But um, it was just a day that I'll never forget, you know? I remember that day too. And I was wondering if you were going to speak about it. Cause I remember you coming home and like you, you were like, okay, I just need like a few minutes to kind of, you know, shake it off kind of thing. Like just get myself transitioned. But I remember you saying like, I think it's really important that we still podcast. Like I really still want to do it. I, you know, it was inspiring The the conversation we had, my God, it was like, podcast 60 something. It was so long ago. It was incredible. And it was a really beautiful conversation where, you know, you dove into your backstory, your plant-based story. But I remember, um, that being an important part of the evening so that, you know, we all weren't kind of dwelling in this sadness about this, this child. And you didn't go into detail, but we, we got the gist of, of what had happened. And, I'm assuming that you would find moments like that throughout your life as you have seen so much come through the door that there are joyful experiences to be had that really need their due as well. And how has there's, I'm assuming there's positive about this that how has this as a mom now informed your ability to shift with the kids? as you had to shift back there from kind of like the, you know, the darkness to something that's, cause it's not all sad stories. I, I know that. Um, so how, yeah, how has that helped you shift in your life and specifically as a mom? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question too. So for sure. I think like it really just puts everything in perspective in your whole life. Like you get to see these families that are really struggling or these families that are just happy and they're there with like a broken finger or something you know, small potatoes. But, um, but I think for me, like every day I can reflect on how thankful I am for the health that we have as a family and the connection that we have as a family. And when I come home, it's like, thank God I'm home. Like, thankfully I can just run around with my kids and pretend I'm a monster now. And I can just like bang on the piano and have them laugh and just do these things that are really silly and fun and like have that space to just enjoy and just show them kind of that that's important to me, that that's a priority. And, um, you know, there are a lot of jokes out there about pediatricians as far as like our, uh, ability to like, I don't know, like keep our kids safe. <laughs> There's like this guy that does these parody videos about like different medical specialties. I can't remember his name right now, but he's an ophthalmologist and I'm sure plenty of your listeners are going to know who he is, but he has a video about the pediatrician that throws a birthday party <laughs> and he's like, Oh, you guys want some hot dogs? Okay. Let me just finish cutting them up really quick. Oh, the day that you eat a grape is going to be the day that you learn the Heimlich maneuver. Like it's just funny, like stuff that <laughs> pediatricians are just paranoid about everything. And for sure. I'm definitely that person. So, um, you never really lose it. You just kind of, you know, my poor kids are like never going to take chances again, but that's okay. Someday they will. (laughs) But you have an adventurous son. 
Yeah, I'd say I do have an adventurous son. I have two adventurous sons for sure. They're both like our snowboarding. I mean, aren't they? Yeah, they're really different. A few months ago, I know. So our older guy, though, I feel like is very, very risk averse. Like he has a lot of big feelings about all that stuff. It's the younger one that is crazy. Like he has no fear, and (laughs) yeah, they're just really different. But it's yeah, they're super fun, and you know, we we push we push them as much as we can do these things. But does he test that like? reaction muscle with you as far as like, oh my God, stay safe. But then I know there's a higher evolved part of you that's like, no, but you have to go live your life and push the boundaries. It's actually really something that we've been struggling with this summer. Like my, um, my older one, um, so we really have wanted to get him to learn how to ride a bike. Obviously we're going to teach him how to ride a bike like as soon as possible. Right. (laughs) We're both triathletes. Like we're going to ride a bike and we're also going to learn how to swim. Well, if there's anything in life that he is like more opposed to it's getting on the bike and putting his head in the water. Like he just will not do it. And he's made some crazy, amazing strides. I have to say like this summer we took a trip to Alaska and we had these like amazing, like big nature experiences with him, which is something that we've, we do a lot. Like we really prioritize getting out, like getting off the grid with the kids, like just letting them explore, letting them get dirty. Um, but after we came back from Alaska is when we saw these giant like developmental leaps with both our kids, but specifically with our four-year-old Cruz, who like all of a sudden was like ready to ride his bike and was ready to swim on his own, ready to do all these things. And I just thought it was so amazing. But um he's he struggles. I mean, like he it's funny because I think it's maybe just more the pressure that we probably put on him without realizing it. <laughs> and our younger one like thinks that he can, you know, like jump off a branch of a tree and that he'll be fine. Like he doesn't even need anybody there to catch him. Like he's, he's crazy. So they're just different. I don't know. I think you, it's probably more that like our first one, we were super overcautious and that kind of got translated to him. And our second one, the second one always has like a little bit less supervision is a little bit more willing to do stuff. Cause they see their sibling doing it, you know? So yeah, they're different for sure, but really, really fun. What about the dynamics of you growing up and your siblings? Like, was there this, a similar mm. adventurous versus a safety net or were you guys all similar? Oh, that's really interesting. I don't know if any of us are really that adventurous, but when I, my childhood is kind of different. I mean, my parents were never really like outdoorsy backcountry people. Like they're, my parents are Colombian and it's like a very indoor culture there. Um, it wasn't really until like we talked about, like we talked about last time, I think my older brother got sick and we moved from, you know, Europe back to the States and then he passed away. And then after that is sort of when everybody in the family got really interested in like fitness and wellness and running and all this stuff. But up until, I mean, I was like 12 years old by then. And so, um, by the time we got into running, but, um, up until then it had never really been a big priority to like get outside and do stuff. Like, I don't think I learned how to ride a bike till I was like seven or eight maybe older. I don't know, but it wasn't early. It was not at age three or four or whatever my son is. So, um, I don't know. I don't, I think it is just a personality thing, but I think it's also sort of like, you know, you have to realize like at some point your kids might not be these endurance athletes that you are. They might just be different. Like Cruz is super musical. He's very into music. That's like the one setting where I see him completely perk up and he's like all attention focus. The blinders are on. He will do anything in a music class or, you know, sitting at the piano or like playing the drums. He's fully immersed in that other than like putting him by a Creek and like letting him run around and having him fully immersed in that, like music is his thing. And so we're just kind of like rolling with it. I mean, he might not be sporty and that's okay. Nash, our younger guy 
like could care less about any of the other toys that we've ever bought for Cruz. He just wants a hockey stick and a hockey ball, like a ball. And he will hit any ball with any stick and he'll do that, you know, 12 hours a day. Like that's his thing. So it's fine. They're just different. And you just kind of have to like roll with it and meet them where they are. And it's all like a learning process for sure. Let's, um, let's talk about if you can revisit your plant-based story, as that is really one of the seeds of the present creation of Mighty Roots and a, you know, a big driver forward is, you know, bringing plant forward and plant-based, uh, if not whole food, vegan lifestyles to not just the kiddos that you're working with, but the families. And for you it, and listening to our first podcast, it's always been about the families. It's like the, the children were kind of your way in and then, you know, the families would be affected. And it seems to me that that's really what Mighty Roots is embracing is like the family unit. But before we go and talk about that, tell us, revisit your plant-based story, please. Yeah, I would love to. And yes, I think a hundred percent that's you like hit the nail on the head. So let's see. So I had never really enjoyed eating meat growing up. I always just thought it was kind of gross. I remember like watching my dad eat a steak one time with like the vein and I just was kind of like, ah, I don't really like this. I just always have seen anatomy and I don't know if it's because I was always hardwired to do what I do, but I've always just kind of seen it as like muscles and carnage and it's never been something that I enjoyed eating and I didn't ever really like the texture. So I was mostly vegetarian like my whole life, just out of preference. Like I never was really into meat and I think plenty of people can relate to that, that they have kids that are just not interested. Um, and so that was me. And I met my husband when I was like after college, you know, had just gotten out of college. And at the time he was like super, you know, meat and potatoes kind of from the country. I like joke and I call him a hick a lot, but he, you know, at the time he like was chewing tobacco. And I don't even know if I told you guys that last time, but Jesse used to chew tobacco and I didn't know, I didn't realize it until we had started dating and we were like maybe three months into stuff. And I was like, man, like that's a deal breaker. I don't want to date somebody who chews tobacco. That's so gross. Like that's not, that's against my religion, you know? And so we made a deal at the time because he didn't ever know what to feed me as a vegetarian. Like he would just go to the grocery store and bring home like a four cheese party pizza. That was like the only thing he could ever think to feed me. And he's like, look, I'll, I'll stop chewing tobacco if you start to eat a little bit of meat. And I was like, Ugh, fine. Okay, fine. So I, I agreed. This was when I was like maybe 23 or something. But I put all these like stipulations into the deal. Like, okay, it has to be grass-fed. It has to be this and that. It has to be organic, blah, blah. And maybe like a year later, I kind of whittled it down to be like, okay, well, I'm only going to eat the elk that you hunt. And so we didn't keep anything in the house. Like by the time we were married, we didn't have really any other meat. Like he could eat whatever he wanted when we would go out. But it was mostly like vegetarian because he hadn't drawn a hunting tag in two years so he didn't, he couldn't hunt any elk. So we just didn't have any. And so that was sort of like, you know, around the, by the time we moved to California, we were basically vegetarian and we moved and I was like, all right, I'm just going to be vegan now. I just kind of told him like, I'm sorry. Like I, you, the, the gig is up. I, I don't really want to eat this meat anymore. <laughs> like I'm just going to be vegan now and you can try it if you want, but this is what I'm doing. And he was like, totally cool about it. He's like, all right, I'll try it. Yeah, that sounds good. And, you know, he watched a few documentaries and he kind of got into it. And it was, of course, like those documentaries are so eye-opening for people. They're like, people just have a rug like ripped out from under them. So he really gave it a try. And maybe three weeks later, he was just feeling so much better. I mean, he had grown up playing hockey. He grew up, you know, drinking a ton of milk, eating a ton of meat, 
it was all about like heavy cream, butter, dairy, meat all the time, you know? And so he had a lot of problems. Like he had a lot of orthopedic problems. He had some back issues, some hip issues. I remember when we first started dating, we were couch shopping and he, you know, had was sitting down, standing up, doing like this, the sitting motion, getting into a couch and getting back up. And after about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, he was like, I have to go home. Like my hip hurts so bad and it's so red and we just have to leave. I'm really sorry. He was just really inflamed. And I can't remember if we talked about this on the show last time or not, but um, kind of part of the story. So anyway, about three months into being vegan, he woke up one day and he's like, mm, I think I want to run the San Francisco Marathon today. And he, the man had never run more than two miles at a time ever. <laughs> and I was thrilled because I had been a runner my whole life. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Great. Let's do this. Totally. And that was sort of the thing that like got him into this whole thing. And then he kind of got the the bug for endurance sports and he registered for a triathlon with me. We started training. We started going on these great bike rides because we're better than just we're better to train than California. I mean, like in the Bay Area, the weather's perfect all the time. The hills are crazy steep. But um so that's kind of how we got into it. And then all of a sudden we had this like new hobby, this new shared value. It was something that just really enriched our marriage and like became just something that we connected on like multiple times. I mean they say that you make 220 food decisions in one day. So that's like 220 opportunities to connect with your partner if this is something that you share, you know? It's a lot. Mm. So for us, it was like this really deep sort of experience that we went through together. And um, so that's kind of the story behind us going plant-based. And we've never really looked back. I mean, I've watched him age backwards and it's just been amazing. Like, it's just been so much fun. <sighs> I feel like you've been moving in this direction for years um, and just the patience along the way, which maybe we can, we'll dive into. Um, when did you, like, when did the inspiration for Mighty Roots come, come in? Yeah. I, well, it's something I've always wanted to do, like ever really since, because at the time when we became vegan, like I was a resident. And so everything was sort of new. It was like this whole new chapter. We had moved somewhere new. We were living out of state. Jesse had never lived anywhere besides Colorado before. And then there was like this whole lifestyle change. All of a sudden we're like doing all these events and traveling and like, it was just really fun. And so I knew then that I wanted this to continue. Like I wanted this to be part of my career in the long run, but I really also wanted that experience that I got in the last five years in the emergency department where I just, I felt like I came out of residency and I had a lot more to learn. Like I just wanted that continued sort of higher university experience where you're just in the trenches doing it. And I wanted that. So when I graduated residency, um, Brian Kono, who's now my boss, who is the, the pediatrician that started Highlands Integrative Peds where I work now. Um, so he actually was one of my yoga students when I was a medical student. So when I was in med school, I would teach yoga twice a week at 5.30 in the morning. And Brian would come every day. Every time I taught, he came. And he was just so sweet. Like, he's just a cool guy. He's very meditative, very grounded. And, you know, he and I kind of got to know each other and he was like, oh yeah, I'm a pediatrician. And that's, I was like, oh, that's cool. So I rounded with him when I was a med student. Uh, I rotated with him again when I was a resident. And then when I graduated residency, he offered me a job and I turned him down because I wanted this, I wanted to suffer more, I guess this is the easiest way to put it. Um, and so that's what I did, you know, and I, I thought like, I think for a long time, the hustle of the ED really worked for our family because like I said, like it would allow me to have the whole day with my kids, even though I would be exhausted and then have to do it again and again, the hours were not like typical hours. So like it really allowed me to work most of the time when they were asleep. Um, but 
I felt like I wasn't really flexing this muscle of like all these other things that I wanted to do. And the cool thing about this practice where I am now is that it's very integrative and it's very um, like it's more of a holistic practice where these crazy ideas that in any other traditional practice wouldn't really be allowed, like these crazy ideas about talking to every family about getting rid of dairy or talking to every family about going plant-based, like he is fully supportive of all that, which is super, super cool. Um, so I guess where I'm going with this is like, I've always wanted to do this and I always kind of thought that I would, and I knew that I would, but for a really long time, like in the university setting, you have a non, a non-compete. So like, I couldn't actually start a side hustle without basically giving up that job and moving to a different practice. Um, so this is kind of perfect because they're super supportive. They like want to be involved. They want their patients to have access to whatever I'm doing. And so it's kind of like just the perfect next step, it seems like. But there are, you know, there were ways to kind of bring this in, in the emergency department. I mean, you see kids with real problems that can be prevented by just these simple changes. And I think that was kind of the thing that continued to inspire this is why this idea never really died is because, like kids will come in in the middle of the night and they're so constipated. They haven't pooped in two weeks. And you're like, well, let me tell you how to fix that. Like, let me just explain like what's really going on, you know, and they get this whole workup. Like they think they're so sick. They're in so much pain. They think they have appendicitis. They get labs done. They get an ultrasound of their belly. They, you know, they may or may not be vomiting and feeling terrible. And it's like, they just have to go to the bathroom every day. It's not that big of a deal. Like we can fix this and you can live without these emergency trips to the doctor in the middle of the night you know, for the rest of your life if you want. And it's not that hard. And so I really enjoyed that in the ED. Like I would connect with these families, talk to them about this, kind of like, you know, just really throw the book at them about like the whole thing. Like, here's what you can do. Like, here's what I do. Full disclosure, like, you know, I've been vegan for eight and a half years. This is what I recommend for this. And people really buy into it and they're excited about it, but then I never would see them again. And so now it's sort of like, okay, I can, now this can be more of like a dialogue over time. And I'm really excited about that. the education component of it you know your knowledge of in the emergency room to be able to talk to these parents about how this can be resolved simply through nutritional adjustments or paying attention to to maybe timing of food or how they're eating or or what are the choices that they're making of the cases that you would see how much of that is really food related like food related could be cured just by a little bit of education and knowing what what is happening with the food that they're taking in? Roughly. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I would say like the majority of things that come to the emergency department would be improved with a plant-based diet for sure. And so in my new course, Leafy Littles, I go, I take like a really deep dive into all this stuff, but particularly like respiratory things, asthma, bronchiolitis, which are just these like highly inflammatory pediatric respiratory problems, sort of like we'll just say. Um, to kind of catch all, like specifically anything with like mucus and secretions, a hundred percent like is going to be better on a vegan diet. But the really cool thing is that sort of new and up and coming in medicine is this concept of your microbiome. So it's basically to say like the bacteria that live in your gut, you have trillions of organisms in there, you know, a really rich, diverse microbiome is involved in the immune system for your entire body, head to toe. It's involved in your mental health. It's involved in just keeping you healthy. It's involved in the cravings that you have on a day-to-day basis. It affects everything. And so just to kind of give like a case study or a case example, like my older son, Cruz, 
is four and a half. He has never been to the doctor other than for his well child checks. Like he's never needed antibiotics. He's never had an ear infection. He's never had an episode where we're worried about his breathing. He's never been constipated to the point that it doesn't improve with like a smoothie and some guacamole at home. Like he is just the epitome of health. Like he has never had a problem. And I think that a huge part of that is because of his diet. I mean, we make sure that they are eating just a huge variety of food, all the colors, all the textures, all the time. Um, My younger guy, he did have like some ear infections when he was really little, but it's because his head was a weird shape. (laughs) And we like worked really hard to correct that. He was just sitting in my belly in a very strange way. And so his he had like some torticollis, which is like one side of his neck was really tight. And so he had kind of a gaze preference it took, you know, a year to probably really fully resolve that. And so when that happens, the the ear bones or the ear canal is actually part of your skull. And the way that it forms, if it's like really tiny or if there's like just a, something abnormal about it, that can cause ear infections that happen over and over and over. Like if you get one, it's really hard to clear it because nothing is going to drain. And so um, anyway, he outgrew that. Like after about a year, he um, never has really had a problem since then. And our kids just they don't really get sick. And when they do, they're over it in a couple of days. It's never like this big ordeal. We never have to take them, you know, to the emergency department or urgent care. Like they just do fine. And so I don't think that this is just luck. I think plenty of people would say, oh, you're just so lucky. And like a hundred percent, we are blessed, like beyond measure. We are so lucky and so grateful for our health. But I think parents in general can be really proactive about this and they don't realize that they have the ability to do that. And so that's like sort of the the reason why I think all of this matters and why I think it's worth creating this thing to help people realize what they're capable of doing and how they can really help their kids because nobody wants to see their child suffer. I mean, watching your kids struggle to breathe is just like, it's a mom's worst nightmare. Like, it's just horrible. I mean, how are you supposed to, what are you supposed to do at that point? And so I think it's really just helpful to kind of give people the information that like you actually do have a lot of say in this and you really can do things that will give them that extra advantage and that leg up, you know, it's not to say they're never, ever going to get sick. Like those viruses and those colds are really important to their immune system. And we've seen that with this whole situation with COVID and quarantine and sort of like this rush of respiratory diseases that happened once everybody went back to school. I mean, they need some episodes of illness. Yes. But they don't have to be sort of like in this position where you're worried about them year round as soon as school starts all the way through until May when they come home for the summer, you know? And so that's sort of like the idea. The education is so important because I feel like a lot of times people in general, and I'm sure parents too, they've got a child who's having trouble breathing. They're feeling like helpless, but then they're going into this medical system where there's not enough time to explain what's going on or what's happening or what needs to be done or how it can, you know, subside with different lifestyle changes. And so I think the education piece is so important because it's so empowering to say, oh gosh, he's really coughing up a lot. There's a lot of mucus there. Yeah. He went to this party and he had the four cheese Jesse special pizza. (laughs) And there's been a lot of that like dairy in there. Oh, and then we went out for ice cream. Oh, and then so that, okay, let's lean off the dairy a little bit and let's see. And trusting this real inherent wisdom in the body is that when you guide it back towards balance, like there's an absence of illness. And for sure, we're an energetic system. And so things are going to move through and they're going to move through our bodies and the body's going to express that as a cough or, you know, a pain or an ache. 
But I agree with you that, you know, as an adult eating a plant-based diet for a number of years now, the, the time frame that you move through these things, it's, it's amazing. And then the span of time in between when the body falls into a state of dis-ease get bigger and bigger and bigger. So tell us about just tell us about Mighty Roots, like give it to us. Cause I know it's a, a resource and this is what I'm talking about with the education. You planted many seeds throughout your time in the emergency room, but now you get a chance to water those seeds. So tell us all about the program and, and how do people interact with it? Yeah. So I'm so happy that you asked. So Mighty Roots is basically designed to be a parenting resource for people that want to raise plant-based kids. I mean, that want just like sort of an elevated approach to parenting that, you know, they're kind of sick of like the traditional advice that they're supposed to do this, that, and the other thing, or, you know, their kid gets diagnosed with ADHD and immediately they're put on a stimulant instead of, you know, doing some sort of more holistic approaches. Like for example, vitamins and just a proper diet has really been shown to improve ADHD, especially when kids are super young. Um, The earlier we address those nutritional deficiencies, the less likely they are to go on to need medication. Um, But it's also for parents that are really just struggling to make food a positive vibration in their household. So I think a lot of families are so busy and they're just so caught up in the day-to-day that mealtimes are not really a thing. I mean, mealtimes are crazy. We've been to friends' houses at mealtimes where it's like just completely bananas. And like, I can't even hear myself think. It's just nuts. But it's really important to the family unit and to the kids' health to sit down and eat as a family every single night for dinner. Like the fact that you eat as a family can prevent obesity in adulthood. Like something as simple as that. And having that time to just sit down and have clarity and calm and connect with your kids and talk to them and really listen to them and have them focused on just being together. And it doesn't have to be this relationship with food that's so stressful. Like, you know, you have to eat your beans before you can eat your cupcake and this and that and the other thing. I mean, I think every parent is guilty of those words, I mean, self-included. But the idea is that you start to practice this trust with your child where anything I put on that plate is a fair choice. Like they can have anything that I serve them in any order and in any amount, and I'm going to be okay with it because I want to be the person to foster that positive relationship with food for them. I mean, our kids make their way through the world and they have, you know, everywhere they turn is an opportunity for them to have a negative like self-reflection or a negative interaction with food. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And so like, as a mom, I don't want to be that person. Like, I want to be the person that creates this safe space for them, that this is something positive that we can do together as a family. And this is our chance to really sit down and talk. And so it is the diet and it is the nutrition. It's all those things because that's what's going to foster health forever. And that's what's going to create this foundation for our kids to kind of move through life and know what's good for them and know that food affects the way that they feel um, because 100% it does. But it's also like a resource for families that just really want to reset and find that connection again, that really need like this time with their kids to um, to just have like a positive moment where everything is sort of like time stands still for a while and they can just sit at the table and eat and connect and have that be really important. So um, it's a resource for all those things. Uh, there's a blog where I talk a lot about time in nature with kids because that's sort of like the other part of this is that like really carving out time to just get your kids off the grid, let them play without structure, let them play without screens, let them play without any branded toys, 
trust me, it makes your life so much easier because they don't have anything to fight about or anything to fight over. Like there's enough sticks and rocks and leaves and puddles for everybody. But um, so there's a blog with information about that. And there's like some gear that people can shop if they want to. It's all stuff that we've bought one time that has lasted like every season so far. Um, Because we're still trying to be minimalist, but God knows it's hard once the babies come because there's just so much stuff that they need. But anyway, so there's that. And then there's also my Leafy Littles Masterclass, which is what's coming soon. So that's what I'm going to enroll for. Um, I haven't announced the actual date and I'm still sort of mulling it over, but it's coming. It's going to be sometime in the next few weeks um, where it's just a masterclass for families that kind of want the whole shebang as far as nutrition and plant-based food and what to feed their kids and sort of what the combinations are and how to approach the whole thing and make it something really positive and really fun. So I did my first launch recently with a group of people that I offered the course to. I was, you know, hoping to get 10 people and I got 16 people to enroll, which was super exciting and great. Um, and we're, you know, we're, we're finishing it. Like we're getting through and people are really engaged. So it's a lot of fun. Well, all right. So one, what's the, what's the age span of kids or does it matter if they're infants or can you, if they have teenagers at home that are still there from high school, are parents still curious about changing the food patterns of the, of the household? Yeah. So the mix of people that I'm working with right now is actually really cool. So there are moms in there that have been vegan for their, you know, several years at least, like a long time that have kids and are just wanting to make sure that they do it right, which is exactly where I was. And we can get into that. That's sort of like we're another step in the journey to putting this all together. But um, it is hard because their needs are so much different than ours. So there are moms that are new that have been vegan forever. There are moms that are raising littles and just kind of want to see what this is all about and check it out. And then there are um, parents and dads who have teenagers that are struggling with maintaining a healthy weight or whatever. So it's really designed to help anyone because it's just providing the tools of like, these are the nutrients, these are the macronutrients, these are the calories and the caloric density, sort of like the building blocks of what to do. And then kind of allowing people to use those tools to help them whatever situation they're in. So like if you have a kid that's not growing, for example there are ways to get them to grow and there are ways to give them more of what they need versus if you have a kid that's struggling because they've been overweight their whole life and they really need like a reset and need to figure out how to make this sort of work so they can maintain a healthy weight. There's information there for that as well. So it's good. I would say it's really, I want to make it as inclusive and accessible as possible. And I think we're, we're doing that. The thing that is not really incorporated into this yet. And maybe I need to just do like a separate little mini course is just kind of like the first year or so of life, like where people are either nursing or they're formula feeding or whatever. Um, there's not so much about that in here, but, um, but really like after one year of age, your kid doesn't need to be on formula anymore. So if you're not nursing by one, you can put them on like a full fat, um, plant-based milk, like Oatly or Ripple Kids is really amazing. They're all fortified for what kids need nutritionally. They're almost identical to whole milk, but they don't include all the other things that are in whole milk that we don't like. So um, if you're looking for like a quick answer, a quick fix, as long as your kid is over age one, you can put them on a full fat plant-based milk and you know have them have table foods the rest of the time. So... What is it about what is in whole milk, uh, dairy in general, that we want to uh, we want people to know more about? Yeah, so it's really interesting, and this is something I talk about a lot, especially at work now, because the industry recommendations have driven 
the recommendations that we have day to day, like from everywhere, like from the USDA and, you know, from your doctor and everybody like that, they need to start cow's milk at a year of age. So the things in dairy that um, I feel like would be better, like if you just got that nutrition elsewhere, are number one, there's passive antibiotic exposure. So about 80% of our antibiotic exposure actually comes through our food. So there are plenty of parents out there that want to avoid antibiotics at all costs. Like, you know, their kid is sick and we have to really like have this discussion about like why antibiotics are indicated and whether or not we want to do them. But really like the funny thing is about all that or the ironic thing is that they're actually getting antibiotics every time they eat meat or dairy or have cheese because in animal agriculture, that's sort of the way that these things are sort of perpetuating. There's a really interesting, it's very doom and gloom, but there's a documentary on Netflix called Resistance that goes into this in great detail. But um, antibiotics, there's also hormones in milk. I mean, this is somebody's milk, right? There's growth hormone in milk. Um, there's insulin-like growth factor, which both of those have been late related to diabetes. Um, there's animal estrogens, there's animal proteins. And I think the thing that really, you know, makes me pause is that as our kids are really little, especially they're developing their immune systems. And so the issue is that when we overwhelm their immune system with these animal products, particularly dairy, but also, you know, meat in general, it's really difficult for the immune system to kind of sort out what's me, what's not me. And the stuff that's not me, like, what am I going to tolerate in the body? Like, is it something that's safe for me to be exposed to? Like jewelry, for example, like a lot of people are allergic to metals, right? Or like different kinds of foods. Like this is how we teach our kids' bodies how to have an immune system that's going to appropriately respond and not like open the floodgates and have this crazy reaction to something like a peanut or a piece of kiwi or something that they shouldn't be responding to like that. And so dairy is a very allergy-heavy food. It's very similar to our human proteins. And so the body can get really confused. And so for kids with food allergies, like it really stinks because sort of like once you've gotten the allergy, there's not really much you can do to undo that. But um, I think reducing dairy exposure and having it sort of occur in these ways that are more tolerable is really helpful because it can prevent food allergies in our kids. So there's evidence to say that like early introduction of different allergens like peanut butter, nut butter, eggs, things like that is beneficial in the long run because kids are less likely to be allergic to those. But the question that I've always had, and I don't know if anybody's ever studied this, but like, is it because we introduce it sooner or is it just because we introduce it before we sort of overwhelm their system with cow's milk three to five times a day for the rest of their life, right? So it's an interesting question. But um, so let's see, we talked about antibiotics, talked about hormones. We talked about the fact that it's animal protein. There's a ton of calcium in milk, yes, but there's even more phos in milk. So calcium and phosphate, if you think back to like high school chemistry or buddies, they will always find each other and they're always going to bind to each other. And so if you have sort of this excess amount of phosphate coming into the system, it's going to find calcium somewhere in the body to bind with it. And most of the time, it's going to actually pull calcium out of the bones to bind with phos, and then you're going to end up peeing it out. And there's a lot of consequences to that. And that's why like when they look at these, you know, studies worldwide, the countries that have the highest levels of dairy consumption actually have the most fractures. And so this, there's a study, I think it was out of Sweden, but they are sort of, it's giving everybody pause, like, oh, like, oh yeah, we didn't really realize that. And it's because calcium and phosphate love each other. 
So there's that. And then the other thing that's kind of the more well-accepted argument against dairy by pediatricians, hopefully everywhere, is that there's a lot of calcium in it, of course, but the calcium can actually interfere with your ability to absorb iron in your gut. And so this is why kids that are on cow's milk for like the, the majority of their calories are prone to iron deficiency anemia, not only because there's an inflammatory process that happens in the gut, so absorption is impaired that way, but the calcium that's in cow's milk can cause you to not have the ability to absorb iron. And so for both those reasons, kids end up, you know, anemic with like a little bleed in their gut. It's just not good. The last thing I would say is that dairy can make your kids super picky eaters And it's because they love it. There's a lot of sugar in milk too. And so they get hooked on it. The casein protein in milk acts on morphine receptors in your brain. People get hooked on it. Kids are no exception to that. They really want that milk. And that's all they end up wanting for every meal. And so the kids that are the pickiest eaters, the first thing I ask them every time is, okay, well, how much milk are they drinking? And usually it's a lot. Same thing for constipation. So any kind of dairy or any kind of meat is really going to lead to more constipation in your kids because it's inflammatory and because there's no fiber. So that's a lot to say, but I think those are kind of the big, the big points that I try and make with people are, you know, it's not only like a nutritional thing, but it's, it's also sort of like the hormones, the antibiotics, and the fact that it's not good if you want regular bowel movements and a healthy gut microbiome. So yeah, long story short. So why are people still drinking milk? Like, why is that still, why isn't the word out? I guess that's what you're doing. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, because they're hooked on it, man. They love it. (laughs) and Their kids love it. And I totally understand, you know, this argument, like people will say, well, I just eat what my, I just make what my kids will eat because they're tired of the struggle, you know? And it is a struggle. It's so hard. I mean, the other kind of arm of this is that when, when Cruz was a baby, of course, I came into this parenting thing like with this, you know, I was on fire about plant-based nutrition. I was going to have the healthiest kids ever. And I was going to like prove to everybody that you can do this. And, you know, and then Cruz like really struggled to gain weight. When he was a baby, when he was, he nursed really well. So when he was about one and a half, when he was supposed to be mostly eating table foods, he still was just wanting like nothing to do with it. Um, And that's kind of when I realized that like you can't assume that our needs nutritionally are the same as our kids' needs. And I think that was sort of when like the light switch went off. And that's when things got a lot easier and when things started to change. So like as a plant-based athlete, you want to maintain lean muscle mass. You really like Jesse and I would avoid all kinds of fat. We would really avoid salt. I had gone through Dr. McDougall's program as a resident where he advocates for like a plant-based diet that's very heavy in starchy vegetables like potatoes, leafy greens you know, everyone that goes through that program loses weight. There's hardly any salt in the diet. And so for all those reasons, like as an adult, it's perfect. If you want to maintain lean body mass and have enough energy and fuel, it's like the perfect diet. It's wonderful. But for our kids who are literally running a marathon every single day and at the same time growing and their brain is growing and their brain is using way more calories than our brains do, even when we're fully working and thinking, like they just need a little bit the profile of macronutrients and stuff is just a little bit different. And so I think just making that shift can be really helpful for people because your kids are often going to gravitate towards the foods that are familiar to them and that are reliable. So what I mean is like Ritz crackers, for example, which happen to be vegan, by the way, are a familiar food and 
if you think about it, like there's this really, um, there's this really great resource on Instagram called feeding littles where they do a lot of like this sort of behavioral stuff, overcoming picky eating. And they have this meme where they have a picture of a blueberry or something. And it's like every, they have maybe 12 pictures of the same blueberry over in a row. And it's like squishy, sweet, sour, crispy, crunchy, soggy, like, you know, a different description for every one. And then they have like a picture of a wheat thin on the next one, like the same thing, like wheat thins. And it's like the exact same every single time without fail. And if you think about that, like that's the reason that our kids want the foods that they want. They want to know exactly what it's going to taste like. They want to know that it's going to be the same every single time. And so it's really important to incorporate those familiar foods because for a lot of kids, that's going to be the gateway to getting them to eat at all. And so it's really finding the balance between like, okay, here are these processed foods that I never thought in a million years that I'd ever want to feed my kid, but I'm going to put them on their plate because I know that they're going to for sure eat these. And once they're eating these, then maybe they'll try this other really delicious thing that I made. So like one of the um, principles in the course that I'm teaching now is how to put together a plate and how to offer these choices as being fair. Because remember, once I put it together, anything they eat in any amount and in any order is going to be okay with me, right? It's a safe space. So if they decide that all they want is wheat thins tonight and they're going to ask for more wheat thins, like, okay, that's maybe that's what their body wants. But most of the time they start to eat these processed foods and they get curious about the other stuff too. And so the other thing is trying to make these other new experimental foods for them like interesting and delicious and calorie dense. And so it's okay to put some olive oil with extra salt on their vegan tortellini that you made. It's okay to put a little bit of maple syrup on their fruit so that they can kind of overcome that feeling of fear around, oh my God, is the blueberry going to be gross this time or is it going to be yummy? I don't know. And so it's okay to like take those steps and sort of make this just a positive experience for them without worrying so much about like, oh my God, I just gave my kid an extra eighth of a teaspoon of sugar. Like, what am I going to do? It's like, they're going to use that fuel. They need that fuel. They're going to use it. It's all good. And so this is sort of like what we're trying to do. Oh, that's so interesting. And you had touched upon it earlier, like, you know, what to feed them. And I think that's the follow-up was what you just explained there. And of course, there'll be more throughout the course, which um, if I had kids, I would totally sign up, but we don't, and that won't be happening. Um, but certainly, we know you. Uh, I know this course is going to be so thorough. And just the way that you're so well, well articulated, all that information you just dropped is so easy to absorb. But it left me with a question about, you had mentioned food allergies. Like once you kind of get them, it's, you know, your body has this resistance, right? But you also talked about iron deficiency. And so is that something that is, can be carried into adulthood even if they clean up their diet? Is there a part that was mapped early on that the body has a difficulty in overcoming, uh, specifically with iron? And I I ask that, you know, really from an athlete standpoint, we, we work with some athletes who, uh, you know, work with either low iron or low iron absorption. And could that be something stemming from something early on in their life? Um, I would say, so you're asking kind of two very different questions. So we can address iron first. So iron deficiency is easy to overcome in general. I would say that the deficiency does not stick with you. It's easy to treat. We supplement these kids. They generally respond really nicely. But iron absorption in general is really 
fussy. Like your body just isn't great at absorbing iron. You can only absorb a little bit at a time. It goes better if you pair it with something with vitamin C. So like iron and vitamin C absorb much better together. Um, Iron and calcium don't. You know, the calcium will kind of bind with the iron. You'll just move it through and you won't ever absorb any. Um, And then your body recycles a lot of iron. And so you have to have other elements like copper and selenium and other things to kind of maintain the iron that you have and recycle it in an efficient way. So there's kind of multiple facets to that. I would say like, you know, as long as you're taking like a great trace element supplement or something like that for athletes, I would do that in addition to the iron because that's what's going to make sure that you're properly able to recycle your iron that you do have. And then of course, timing it with like great sources of vitamin C. So like citrus fruits are really good. Um, you know, I have a bunch of Instagram posts about vitamin C, but like pairing it with something like that, that'll help. Um, and then avoiding kind of taking it with a bunch of calcium at the same time. So if you have to have a calcium supplement, time it so that your iron is sort of at a separate part of the day, like maybe breakfast is for iron and then dinner, you can do your calcium supplement, but you shouldn't really need a calcium supplement if you're eating a bunch of leafy greens. I also have, you know, in, infographics about calcium. So check oh, it out. Cool. It's all on my Instagram at mighty.roots is the Instagram handle. Oh, but the perfect. other question about food allergies is a different one. So if you think about it, so allergies happen because your body has decided that something that should be a benign trigger or just a benign substance to your body that you should sort of tolerate and like move along, like not really respond to, is for whatever reason considered dangerous like a pathogen. The same way that it would be, you know, like, oh my God, this is a bacteria. This is a virus. This is so bad. We don't know about this. So your body learns this full-blown immune response to whatever the trigger is that actually gets stronger every time it's exposed. And so like for that purpose, I say like very clearly in the course, like if your kid is allergic to something, this course is not going to fix that. Like this course, you should continue to avoid those foods for now. There are people that specialize in allergy and immunology that definitely work with kids and allow them to, um, over time they have programs where they can like introduce new allergens, like in very, very, very tolerable ways, like microdoses over time. And kids can absolutely outgrow their allergies and overcome them. But it takes a lot of effort and it really takes the supervision of a specialist because I mean, obviously, like anaphylaxis is life or death. Like, that's well outside the realm of this course for sure. But, but just know it's possible. You can definitely overcome those those allergens. But it's a learned immune response that we're dealing with, and so just switching to a vegan diet is not going to immediately change that, unfortunately. Hmm. Uh, in the in this course too, and this is what kind of a thought I've been having as you've been speaking. Is there an element to progress over perfection? Like moving this through as like it's accepting. Uh, where you're at now, and it's going to take a little bit of time to get you where you need to go. It doesn't need to be perfect right from the start. Yes, a thousand percent that for sure. I think so. The first module in this course, or the first lesson in this course, is all about sort of the that exact concept of like this is meant to be as inclusive and safe for people, and you know, free of any kind of a judgment around them starting this process, right? Like. A millionaire is never going to look at a new business owner with judgment because they've been there, right? Like somebody that's made their keep and is like a successful entrepreneur is not going to poo-poo on people that are just starting out because they were that person once, right? And so this is really about like finding the balance of what works for people because one of the things I love to say is like anything that's worth doing 100% of the time is worth doing 5% of the time or 
50% or 90% of the time, it doesn't have to be perfect. And that's actually a really important sort of takeaway from this course too, because of course, like when I was like you guys, where we were just focused on each other, focused on our sports, our kids were not in the picture. I was like, you know, very triggered by any sort of thought or idea that like people would bring dairy into my house or whatever. And my friends that are listening to this will probably comment and be like, oh yeah, you were really mad at me that day I brought yogurt over. (laughs) And I was, but it was like a couple years ago. And I think your standards do change after a while when you have kids because it's all about relinquishing control. So even though like we are a hundred percent plant-based family, like if we go to a birthday party, I'm going to allow my kids to make their own choices because it's not up to me anymore. Like it's at some point, these are their choices. And so that's the other kind of takeaway is that like you have to allow your kids space to experience this for themselves and make their own choices. And if it's something that you really want them to know about and you want to instill this value in them, like that's a whole separate set of work that you're going to have to do. You can't just take them somewhere and expect them to be okay not participating or not eating what everybody else eats. It's just, it's not a fair setup for them. And so like for us, like we are 100% plant-based at our house. When we go places, like it's really our kids' choice of what they want to do. Of course, I'm not going to like let them eat a bunch of chicken. But if they, I don't know, the other day, my son wanted to try a piece of salami. Like his friend always has salami at snacks. He literally like smelled it and like licked it and was like, I'm never trying that again. And so they're never going to learn these things if you just, if you don't allow the exposure to happen. I'm sure plenty of people in the vegan community would be mad at me for saying that. But like the truth is like, it's not up to us to make these choices for our kids. Like they are going to have to do this someday all by themselves. And this is their life. Um, And so I think being respectful of that is really important. Mm. What are um, what are we, we responsible for with our kids in setting them up? Um, you know, we're not responsible for ultimately the choices that they that we make, but what what are we responsible for in that way of setting them up for a healthy lifestyle? That's a good question. That's a lot. So, you know, I think, man, I think we're responsible for setting the stage for it right? Like I want my kids to have a lifetime of wellness. Like I want them to grow up and be happy and pursue whatever they want to pursue. If Cruz never wants to ride a bike again, like I'm going to have to learn how to be okay with that. (laughs) But I want him to have the foundations for success as an adult. I mean, he, he needs to know how to eat healthy food. And the exposures that we do now, like the things that we expose him to now, as far as like his palate and like the, the variety of foods, like that is not lost on anybody. So like the more you do that, the the easier it gets and the more likely they are to just like think through this on their own. So I think number one, it's you, you're responsible for being educated on like what to feed them. So if you are choosing a plant-based lifestyle for your family and for your kids, you have got to think through what that means from a nutritional standpoint because kids do have really specific nutritional needs. And, you know, for better or worse, like a lot of things that they need in a vegan diet, you really have to thoughtfully give them. You can't just sort of like do what I did initially where he wasn't growing and I was like, you know, kind of had married these this value system and these beliefs already. Like you can't just stop there because if your kid isn't thriving, like it's really on you. Like you just have to, you really need to do the work to learn what they need and how to give it to them, which is something that I want to help everybody do. Secondly, like you really have to back off. I think people make mealtimes very, very stressful and very, very complicated by trying to dictate how much their kids eat, what their kids eat first, when their kids should stop eating, 
blah, blah, blah. So I think you're responsible for sort of creating this space where they can sit with you, enjoy their food. You're not going to like stare at them. They're still learning how to eat. I mean, little kids are still learning how to even like use a spoon or how to, you know, how to like tolerate something on their plate. There's something like, I think it's like 27 steps a baby will take before they're actually willing to eat something and like swallow it. Um, and so there's a whole process that goes into that. I mean, it's messy. It's, it's challenging. If you're really going to like invest in it as far as like your own self-esteem, like it's just not a good idea because, because it's going to take some time for them to decide that they like something. So you have to offer it over and over again. So I think it's like creating this safe space where they feel like they can connect with you. Um, let's see the nutrition part, the, you know, sort of this, the safe environment and the safe interaction. And then I think just sort of like talking about it and like, you know, addressing this with your kids. Like I take my kids to the store almost every time they love it. It's just something fun that we do together. I include them when we are um, making dinner. And one way that I found is really helpful in addressing picky eating is like, you have to teach your kids that a lot of work goes into feeding them. I mean, it's not easy to meal plan. You have to go to the store. You have to think about what you're going to make. You have to buy the food. You have to pay for the food, bring it home, put it, unload everything, plan out what you're going to do. Then there's the whole, you know, meal prep and recipe process. Then there's the cleanup. And so it's a lot of work. And so one of the things that I do is I involve my kids as much as I can in all those steps because I want them to have this sense of gratitude for how lucky they are to like have this abundance of choice and, you know, to do this together. Like this is something that's, we're really, really fortunate to be able to do. And so um, I think that's sort of like the, the third piece I would say. So mighty.roots on Instagram. Is that where you yeah. launch the, um, when you announce the date, you decide the date for this, um, you'll post it there as well as your website. Yeah, I'm starting to get the word out now. So anybody that's interested, please follow me on Instagram. It's mighty.roots. Um, I'm also on Facebook. And I think my handle there is like mightyroots.org. Um, or you can just go to the website and subscribe. So if you're not on social media, I totally I vibe with that. Um, that's fine. It's mightyroots.org is the website. There are multiple places to subscribe. But that's also where you'll find like the blog and just recipe ideas. And there's like some nutrition information there. Um, but yeah, anybody that's interested, I would love to have you. You can also just shoot me an email. It's info at mightyroots.org. And yeah, I would love to hear from anybody. I mean, really like the point is that this can be for anyone. And so I hope that that's the message that we kind of sent today. Yeah, absolutely. I took away a lot. I think, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of little tidbits and techniques and the backing off and releasing control, all of those things that we as adults can embrace in our own life for more ease, for more health, um, and, and less stress reaction in the body. So I'm psyched that you were here today. Thank you so much. Uh, I know you're such an incredible resource. So I encourage people to reach out to Monica if you do have a question or leave a comment for this, for this episode. And we'll make sure that we get you the answer to that curiosity, but I think that's it. They got to get over there and subscribe and read some of those blog posts. I read through them. There's some really good ones there. Things to take away as adults as well and incorporate into your life. So Monica, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. It was so good to see you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. 